Assurance does not come through your baptism. Assurance doesn't come through just living life. But assurance comes through the Word of God. There was a little quote I read, and I'd like to repeat it to you, that I saw this past week. It says, If Jesus loved the church to the point he laid down his life for it, then he cannot possibly abandon it now. And that is why no Christian is ever indifferent toward the church. He has the same heart for it and the same attitude toward it that Christ does. A Christian would never abandon involvement with his local church. I thought that was a very profound quote. Simply because there's a lot of people that like to play the Lone Ranger. God has not called us to be Lone Ranger Christians. He's called us as a church body. And we are together together. We're together together as oft as we meet. Church membership and church involvement is very important. If the Lord loved the church so much, he gave himself for it. Let us all say we're glad he didn't abandon us. But how easy it is for members to abandon the body rather sad. This morning, let me get back on topic, 1 Peter chapter 4. What do you do when you've done all that you know that you should do? And after you've done all that you think you should have done, you experience bad news. In other words, you believe you're walking in the will of the Lord. You think everything is fine. Sin is confessed. And yet, you get bad news. Has anybody ever got bad news? Or is it just me? I'm sure we have all had bad news. I mean, I'm living in a vacuum, right? (laughs) Trouble's coming. You have not experienced bad news. Let me tell you, trouble could be coming through your health. It could be coming through work. It could be coming through your spouse. I won't say that too loud. (laughs) It could be coming through your family. It could be somebody that you've helped spiritually. I have known in my time in walking with the Lord that Sometimes when you help people spiritually, they'll turn on you. And it causes suffering. There's different ways we suffer in life. You may be suffering right now, but there's one thing for sure. If you're not suffering right now, suffering's coming at some point in our lives. The Word of God tells us, our Lord said, that we all experience tribulation. Sometimes it's because of unconfessed sin. There's no doubt about that. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Sometimes it might be because we're out of the will of the Lord. That's a possibility. But sometimes it's not the cause of that. The Word of God tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 8, you don't need to turn there, it says, But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers... 
then are you bastards and not sons. In other words, you don't belong to the Lord if the Lord never chastises you. So there's times in life we experience chastisement and suffering. Chapter 3 in 1 Peter in verse 17 says, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So there's times we suffer even from doing what is right. Chapter 4 and verse 19, the Word of God says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. In other words, it is God's will for us to suffer at times. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher back in the 1800s, said this, Those who dive into the sea of afflictions bring up rare pearls. Peter is writing to Christians in that first century that lived in Rome. They're being persecuted. They're going through a lot of afflictions. Nero was the emperor. Nero was what you call a bad dude. To put him in our day and time or in the century that has passed or this generation that's passed, he would be like the Hitler, probably even worse in that day and time. It is reported old Nero burnt Rome, then turned around and blamed it upon the Christians. Therefore, Christians got a lot of heat from people that knew them. They got a lot of persecution. Nero turned around and started torching Christians. He would catch them or have his minions catch them, put pitch all over the Christian, put them upon a stake and light him for his garden parties. While he'd walk around drinking, reveling, as Christians are being burnt. Christians in that day and time were accused of being cannibals. Because no doubt some had heard them as far as when they partook of communion and the Lord's Supper, they heard it said, This is my body and my blood. And so people who were not Christians misinterpreted that and said they're cannibals. They eat people. And so Christians got a very bad rap in that first century. Oftentimes they were nailed to crosses, sewn in animal skins. Shortly after that first century passed, I remember reading a story in Martyr's Mirrors, which is a book we have in our library. It was written in the 1600s, and it basically covers the area from 1200 to 1600, which is the Dark Ages. And there was a lady whose name was Perpetua. Perpetua had a lady that helped her out all the time. Both of them became pregnant, and Perpetua was, was a Christian, and the woman who helped her was a Christian. Both of them pregnant But those who were in charge in the city arrested Perpetua because she attended a Bible study. They arrested the one who led the Bible study. Perpetua told her parents, if anything happens to me, 
take my child and raise him. As she was imprisoned, she breastfed the child. They came into her cell one day and told her she was going into the arena the next day. Does not say what happened to the child, but Perpetua was part of their sport in the day and time in that arena. They let wild animals loose upon Perpetua. The wild animal brutalized her but did not kill her. The executioner come up to her and wounded her and she grabbed the sword and put it at her throat and died. We don't see that suffering in our day and time in the United States. Let me tell you, it is going on in other parts of the world, but it's kind of foreign to us. There was one man by the name of John Huss that lived in the 1400s. John Huss was bohemian, a preacher of righteousness, the city officials arrested him and told him to stop his preaching. John Huss said, I will not stop because I love my Lord. They bound him. They tied him up to a stake. They piled the wood up to his neck. They set the wood on fire. John Huss, it's reported, started singing of his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not experienced suffering like these examples, but I want you to hear what the Word of God says in verse 12. It says, Beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Peter's writing around the time Nero burnt Rome. It seems this would be a reference to that. So Peter tells those that are going to be tortured and that are going to be martyrs, think it not strange. Don't think this is something odd. This is part of the way that God tests us. It's part of God's will at times, as we read in verse 19. What he is simply saying is, expect trials. Expect sufferings in this life. The way Peter approaches these readers is with the Greek word agapetos. Agapetos comes from the root word agape, which is the word for love. It's an unconditional love. In other words, if I were to call you beloved, that means I love you unconditionally. As far as in Christianity, only Christians can do that. We love one another unconditionally. 
and unconditional love in spite of what you're doing or what you might be experiencing or what might be coming into your life. Don't be surprised, beloved, of this testing and this suffering that's going to come. Now, what happens when we get bad news? We get news of maybe cancer, or we get news of suffering is coming down the pike. We're usually surprised, aren't we? That's the first thing that happens to us. We automatically think, oh, you know, like, why is Peter saying, don't be surprised, because he knows human nature. He knows how you are. He knows how I am. We become very surprised, thinking nobody knows the troubles I seen. Nobody knows. Nobody's ever experienced the trials that I've experienced. Oh, yes, they have. My sister-in-law messaged me a note that my brother wrote before he passed away few short months ago. He had the liver disease. He had cancer on top of that. It's eventually the cancer, I guess, that got him. But uh, I find it very interesting. At the top of his note, he said, we wouldn't have all the violence, killing, stabbings, and stealing, and meanness in this world if people would love God. He who hates his brother is a liar. That's what we read this morning. Here's what he wrote concerning his cancer. Going through cancer, I have learned. I didn't know much about it as I thought I did. It's the same with any sickness. I've told people that I understood, but in reality, I didn't have a clue. I prayed with them thinking I know the pain, the suffering, but if you haven't been through something like this, you have no idea what chemo does to your body. You have no idea the peaks and the valleys. One doctor tells you good news, the next one tells you bad news. It's an emotional roller coaster. Remember, God is love, and love casts out fear. How getting stuck to draw blood almost every week, taking vials and vials of blood. Not wanting to eat, not because you're not hungry, but because your taste buds change. Some foods, just to think about it, makes you feel like you want to throw up. Food and drink with no smell. Tastes too salty. Food has a metal taste even when you use plastic forks or spoons. Keep some of it away from metal. You have to stay focused on God, the creator of all things, because God is love. God loves you and wants you to be in his kingdom. This I know my brother knew the Lord. But the most important thing, the Lord knew my brother. And though he suffered, he kept his focus on God. Suffering is coming in this world, and therefore we must expect it. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Know that persecution is even coming. If you live righteously, 
And if you speak boldly, people will speak evil of you. And even more so as time progresses on. Have you noticed that? Let me tell you, there are some that hate New Life Baptist Church. Let me tell you why. Because the bushes are not hiding the building no more. You know what? They don't want any visibility or sign of a church around. I do not speak that lightly. I say it as a fact. Therefore, they speak evil of us. Let me tell you, if truth is spoken from this pulpit, people will speak evil of us. This is, in some people's minds, Pride Month. Let me tell you, God hates the proud. And just the lifestyle that that's supposedly representing, let me tell you something, it flies in the face of God. And if we speak out against it, it's because we speak in love and we're concerned for the souls of men and women. They'll misinterpret the message. They'll twist the message and think it's hate speech and whatever. But such is the times we live in. They pervert the Word of God. They take the rainbow and make it mean something that God does not make it mean. It's a promise that God will never flood this world again. That's what it's meaning. But let me tell you, they put it in a whole different definition. And because you do not agree with the culture, let me tell you something. Persecution is coming if you speak out against it. I read a story of a lady that was in custody being questioned because she simply made a comment. I don't know where this was at. I didn't read the full story. She made the comment that men cannot be lesbians. And they were questioning her over that. I'm going like... We're living in a twisted, sin, sick world. And if you speak truth, let me tell you, you're going to be persecuted to some degree for that. If you speak truth, let me tell you, encourage you to speak the truth in love. We live in life, as I said earlier That if we haven't got any trials going on in life and everything's going smooth, we think all is well. We think everything's hunky-dory if there's no suffering going on. Let me tell you, the greatest grace that you'll ever experience is when you face trials. When you go through times of suffering, it's when God's grace is poured out upon you. We don't like to think that way. Here is what Peter is writing about and encouraging these first century Christians that are about to endure some things that would probably take their life. And I want you to notice what he says. Not just expect these trials that are coming into your life, but notice what it says in verse 13 and 14. But rejoice. What? When you're suffering, rejoice. That's what he said. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. 
If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you on their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now let me tell you something. Only God can help us to rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. This past week I read one pastor's viewpoint of the word rejoice. It means, listen to this, I like this, calmly happy. I like that. There's a deep-seated calmness that's happy. And you know what? We can have that in the midst of our sufferings because God enables us in that which he commands us to do. To rejoice in the midst of your suffering. That trial's coming. That time of testing, and it's a fiery testing, but rejoice. Now, if God commands you to rejoice, God is more than capable of giving you the ability to rejoice in the midst of your fiery trouble. A calm happiness. Why is that? Because the Word of God tells us in verse 13, we are made partakers, that's the word koinonia, which means fellowship. We are in fellowship with His sufferings. We're in fellowship with the sufferings of Christ when we suffer for His namesake. Now His sufferings, our sufferings are not like His, because His suffering, He suffered and died for our sins. He took our place upon that cross. There's no way you can atone for the sins of others, but Christ can. But in our sufferings, we're having fellowship with Him, and we come to know a little better about the suffering of Christ. And you know what? When you think upon the suffering of Christ, you're going to love Him more if you know Him as Lord and Savior. The more you know how He suffered for you, for your sins, the more you love Him. Here is what... Peter is saying to these first century believers and even to us in our day and time, and if you have fellowship with Christ in his sufferings, the word of God tells us we're going to have fellowship also with him in glory. Hear what he says. He says, you may be glad also with exceeding joy when his glory is revealed. In other words, there's going to be exceeding much happiness. Much, much joy at his coming if you suffer with him. That's a promise from God. You remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. In James chapter 1, we just went through that book. In James chapter 1 and down in verse 2, remember James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you enter into different kinds of temptations or tests or trials. When these things come into your life, what does James say? He basically says what Peter says. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God is leading both of them to write. Count it all joy, but rejoice. In your suffering, you are to rejoice as a child of God. Knowing this, you're not rejoicing because you're in pain. That would be sadistic. 
but you're rejoicing at what it's going to produce. James says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You're not going to lack anything. In other words, suffering produces results that glorifies God. So we've got to look at what's coming from that suffering. And the more we see God's hand, and the more we see God's grace being poured out to us as we suffer and He helps us, the more we love Him. Notice another reason for this rejoicing. It says in verse 14, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, or people speak evil of you, because of the name of Christ. In other words, they know you're a Christian. If they speak evil of you, happy are you. Makarios, that's blessed. The word blessed, you're blessed if people speak evil of you because you know Christ. He says, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Listen to what the word of God is telling us. In there times in your life where you wonder, how much does the Lord really care about me personally? Let me tell you, if somebody cusses you out because you're a Christian, or mocks you or makes fun of you because of your Christianity, happy are you because the Spirit of God rests upon you. You think about that. Here's assurance that God gives to us in the midst of our suffering. This is what I would call blessed assurance. His spirit is evident in our lives. Here is the reality of what we find over in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's the assurance of this verse. The Spirit of God's with us. In the Greek he's saying, let me repeat this. I've said this time and again to you. I hope you know it by now without me saying. He's saying, I will no, not never leave you. I will no, not never forsake you. The emphasis is upon what he's not going to do. He's not going to leave you. No matter what happens in your life, Christ will never leave you if you're his child. Here, even in the midst of suffering, the Word of God tells us it's an evident sign that the Spirit of God is resting upon you in your life. What's going to happen is that the glory of God will be shown through you if you rejoice in the suffering. Let me give you a case in point. You remember when Stephen was being stoned? They were throwing stones at him. They were killing him as he was dying. He looked up into the clouds. And the word of God tells us that as they looked upon him, they saw his face as the face of an angel. You know what that was? That's the glory of God flowing through Stephen. Stephen died. Gave his life as a martyr. Let me tell you, God's presence was there. 
In verses 15 through 18, I want you to notice here. Through this suffering, there's times we need to evaluate why we're suffering. Is it because of the consequences of sin? Notice what he says in verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief. Some pretty serious charges. Or as an evildoer. That covers just about any evil kind of doing. Or as a busybody in other men's matters. Now this sounds odd to me. I don't know if it sounds odd to you. If you're listening, it sounds odd to you. If you done dozed off to sleep, you didn't hear what I said, so it don't sound odd to you. But you notice the category here, murders, stealing, and then he says, evil doing, just evil doing, doing any kind of evil you can get your hands on. And then he says, a busybody. Now, why would that be in this context? What is a busybody in other men's matters? Let me tell you what a busybody is. It's somebody that's done gone to meddling. <laughs> You've heard that before. Someone who meddles in other people's affairs. They're more concerned about sin in your life than the sin in their own life. They'd rather straighten you out than straighten themselves out. They'd rather call you out than face up to their own sin and shortcomings. They meddle into other people's affairs. It causes major problems in churches. So here we got to examine our life and see if there's sin in our life that's causing the suffering. Let me tell you, a lot of times we can make some bonehead decisions. In my life, I've made some pretty bad decisions. You have too, if you've lived long enough. And if you hadn't, you need to get right with God because you're lying to yourself. I know you make bonehead decisions. It's just human nature. Because of bad decisions, we suffer consequences from sin. So Peter's saying, don't... If you're suffering because of sin, you're not suffering for righteousness' sake. You basically need to make things right with God. If you're a busybody, stop disrupting other people's lives. Stop meddling, whether it's at work, at home, in church, at school, wherever it might be. Stop meddling in other people's business. John MacArthur had a very interesting little comment on this section. He said something like, this can mean like preaching and disrupting your workplace. In other words, there's a time and a place for that. You don't try to change society and be a revolutionary. There's a time and a place. Often we bring suffering upon ourselves, and that's what Peter is addressing here. Notice in verse 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian. In other words, it's because of your Christian walk, your Christian talk, your lifestyle, how you carry yourself. And let me tell you, Christian, the word Christian is very interesting. Does anybody know how many times Christian is mentioned in the Bible? I'll give you a hint. 
Not everybody got it. <laughs> Only three times, once in the book of Acts, chapter 11, chapter 28, and here in First Peter. Now, the word Christian was a term that was used. It started as a mockery by unbelievers mocking those who followed Jesus. In other words, it was a derogatory term. Literally what they were saying, you're a little Christ. You little Christ, you. Now, Christians back in that day and time, or believers back in that day and time, did not like that name because they did not feel like they were worthy of the name of Christ. Yet unbelievers were mocking them, putting them down, saying, you little Christ, you. Here, Peter owns it. He says, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed if you're suffering, but glorify God in the midst of it. In the midst of your suffering, you are to glorify God. People might mock you. They might reproach you. Glorify God on that behalf. In verse 17, the Word of God says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? What shall it be for them? Notice here, God's judgment begins with his people. Judgment has a purifying effect, and judgment has a condemning effect. Here, what we see is that judgment, starting in the house of God, with God's people, he's beginning with the lesser and moving to the greater judgment. We will not be judged and punished for our sins. Christ took our judgment upon the cross. But there are consequences to sin. And you will suffer if you sin. Don't think, well, I'm the only one that knows it. No, you're not. God knows. And how you live your life in secret, it has repercussions upon those that are around you. Judgment has a refining effect. And that's what God does. He works in his children's lives to purify them. He's working to purify you and I. But for those who know not Christ, it's a whole different effect. Listen to what it says over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. The Word of God says, So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And then he says, Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. You see, believers suffer, and it has a purifying effect. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now here comes the judgment upon those that are unbelievers. And to you who are troubled, rest with us whom, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with the mighty angels. 
in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Here, judgment is coming. Judgment upon this whole world and upon all those who reject Jesus Christ. There's going to be great suffering then. But what do we do in the meantime? We as believers, if we're children of God, and there are times when we are suffering, what do we do? The last verse there in verse 19 tells us what we do. Wherefore, or because of this, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. What you do is you commit your soul to the faithful Creator. That rings a bell. (laughs) We are to commit our souls to Him. Entrust our souls to Him is what the Word of God is telling us. That's what Jesus did upon that cross. You remember what He said? Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Or into thy hands I entrust my spirit. He entrusted Himself unto the Father. And that's what we're to do. If you are suffering as a child of God because of you being a child of God, let me exhort you, keep doing right. Keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing and commit it to the Lord. To those who are against you, pray for them. Pray for them. Don't get on their level and argue, fuss, and fight. Pray for them. The Word of God tells us, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Fire either purifies or it consumes. When suffering comes in our lives, do we rejoice? Do we commit our souls to Him? That's what the martyrs did of old. I started with a Charles Haddon Spurgeon quote. I'm going to end with a Charles Haddon Spurgeon quote. Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. When that wave smites me and it pushes me up against the rock of ages... I'm going to kiss that wave because it makes me love him all the more. Wow. Can you say that in your suffering? I pray that you can. I pray that you know Christ. The word of God tells us if we know not Christ, there is a judgment that's coming. If you're a child of God, you're experiencing that purifying effect. Glorify God. Rejoice in it.
As you rejoice, you glorify him. If you know not Christ, let me tell you there is a worse suffering that is coming. The word of God tells us there is a lake of fire. It's not something made up. It's not talking about an analogy. It's not talking about a picture or something that's just uh, annihilation and poof, you're gone when you pass from this life. No, there is a lake of fire. And the flames ascend up forever and ever. That means the fuel to the fire is constantly being added. And souls will spend eternity in hell. May we have a passion for the lost. Because people are leaving this earth, going out into eternity, and going to hell without Christ. May God give us eyes to see. May give us a heart that feels for those that are lost. May he give us feet to go where they are and a mouth to speak with boldness of his gospel, the good news that can save to the uttermost. We're going to give a hymn of invitation. If God's working in your heart and life, would you make things right with him? If it's in suffering and you've not been glorifying God, would you repent and just rejoice and glorify God? If you know not Christ, would you surrender to him today? Acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, that he might be exalted above all. That's what a hymn of invitations for. Brother Josh will be up front here to receive anyone who comes forward. I pray that you simply submit to the Spirit working in your heart and your life. Let's stand and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we find great encouragement even in the hardest of times in life that we have to deal with. It comes from you and your word. Your promises are true and you are the faithful creator. Lord, may we entrust our souls to you that you might be glorified. You know each and every individual heart, each and every mind that roams and drifts, as well as those that are convicted. Work to your honor and glory for Christ's sake. Amen.